Well, let me say welcome to the Foley campus, Mobile campus, and everybody online. Uh, this is an incredible weekend, and we're so glad that you're with us to worship. We're in a series entitled The Grace of God. This is actually part seven. And uh, I want you to turn to Luke 15 and to Galatians 4, those two scriptures. Now, in this series, if you've missed any, you need to go back and pick them up and listen to them or watch them because they interlock, okay? But I'm going to do something I haven't done in this series. I'm going to recap re- real quickly because where I'm going with this, I really want it to fit because we turned a corner last weekend. We spent five weekends on God's part. We're going to spend three weekends on our part. Last weekend was that first weekend. If you missed it, you need to go pick it up. So let, let me review real quick. I ask you this question in, in review in the very first message, who is your husband? Before you came to Christ, you were married to the law. When you came to Christ, he's your new husband. And and let me remind you of the analogy that I used, that you don't keep a good relationship with your new husband in the natural by keeping a good relationship with your old husband. It's the same thing here. You don't keep a good relationship with your new husband, Jesus, by keeping a good relationship with the old husband, the law. The second question I ask you and told you, explained to you is, how do we become righteous? Not by our behavior, but only through believing in Christ. Otherwise, to become righteous by the law, you have to be perfect. How's that working for you? Anybody perfect? No, only been one perfect, okay? The third thing I taught you was what two things cannot change. There are two immutable truths. means they can't change. One is Jesus is our high priest forever, and he's able to save you to the uttermost. Let me tell you what uttermost means. It means a clear conscience. I'll talk about that again in a minute. In other words, he washes away all my sins. They're not covered. It's not, it's not the Old Testament. It's not the covering. I'm washed. Now I am positionally a perfect child of God. The other, the other true, two thing, the second thing that cannot change is Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. The new covenant is better than the old, and here's, here's the best reason, is because it can cleanse my conscience from sin. If my conscience isn't cleansed from sin, watch, here's what I do. I serve God through dead works. Here's the definition of dead works I've told you. It's to try to, you work to try to gain God's approval. That's a dead work. You're working to try to get his approval. Then I ask you, what's the catch? Because if it's too good to be true, we've always taught, well, it probably is. But what's the catch? Here's the catch. Believe. Believe. Believe means three things in the Bible. It means repent. Repent means to change the way you think. It comes from the Greek word metanoio. It means, it means to change, and noio means mind, not the heart. You can't change the heart, but you have to change the mind. You don't have the ability to change your heart, but you have the ability to change your mind. If you change your mind, God will change your heart. He will not change your heart until you change your mind. Repent, change the way you're thinking. And, 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 and listen, here's the, here's the other part of, of that is, is what's the catch is believe is, is repent and then reconcile. Remember, I put the whiteboard on the stage and I, I drew these columns, accounting columns, and, and, and it means you, 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 you know, here's God's part, here's my part, and you have to reconcile, admit I'm wrong, and, and then you come into agreement with God. And thirdly, you receive. I told you last weekend, only empty hands can receive. Most of us, and this explains to me why two people can pray the sinner's prayer and one, it's like one it takes and one it doesn't. Why? Because you, you come to God with your hands full, you can't receive. You can only receive the gift of grace if your hands are empty. But what do we do? We come with our sins or we come with our will. We come with our life, our plans, and you can't do that. You have to lay it aside. And that's why grace, it sounds too good to be true. 
So last week, I asked you the question, does grace work? This setting up the last three messages in this series. Does grace do anything? Is grace just a ticket to heaven? Can you, can you overcome sin by living by grace? What does grace do? And what we've done for five weeks is we've pounded in the truth that we're saved by grace, not by works. We've been knocking legalism in the head. Legalism is actually perfectionism. We've been knocking it in the head and taking out the works orientation part. So the last three messages in the series, which I'm in the middle of those, we're going to talk about what grace produces. We learned last weekend grace produces good works. If you missed it, go listen to it. Good works, here's why it's important always has to do with people. The reason God wants us to do good works is he loves people. And the only way he can get the gospel to people is through people. He put all of his eggs in one basket and that's us. It's all on us. And, and, and that's what he's looking at. And so the way people are going to see Jesus is in you is by doing good works. No strings attached, just because, no judgmental attitudes, nothing, just because, just like serve day last weekend. See, but, I mean, there's always a but there, right? Come on, there's always a but, right? Come on. You can't do enough good works to be saved. Okay? So grace is unmerited, unearned favor it's a gift from God. Grace will produce good works in us. That's how grace works. This weekend, I'm going to look at something else grace produces. At the end of the message, I'm going to tell you a story. It's one of my favorite stories. I'm going to tell you the story. This, what, what grace will produce in us is identity. We must have correct identity. In the message I'm going into, in the scriptures I've given you, there are three identities. And all of the people who are gathered this weekend at Bay Community, all of you, including me, we all fall into one of these three categories of identity. And listen, it's fundamental that you know who you are. So before I share the three groups, I want to ask you some questions. And I don't want you to answer these questions out loud. These questions are for you to think. And maybe the answering of these questions will begin your journey. And you'll look into some more things. But there are two important questions you must answer yourself. Number one, what is true about God? What is true about God? Not rumors you've heard. Not what a pastor taught you. Not what mom and dad taught you. What is it that you know about God to be true? What are the non-negotiables? What revelation about him do you have? Is he mean? Is he angry? Is he distant? Is he unapproachable? Is your God just a vending machine? Is he a frowning father? Is he this father with so much discipline? Or is he a father full of merciful grace and truth that John talks about? Here's the second question. What's true about you? Who are you? Not, not your name, nor where do you live. What's inside of you? What would we see if we could open up the window of your soul? Remember, you're a spirit. You possess a soul. You live in a body. If you could open up your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, if I could put the contents of your soul on the screens, what would we see? I, here's what I think we'd see. Listen, I think we would see the church mask on many people. And I want you to take it off. In this message, will you take the mask off? I mean, don't, don't be a poser. Be real. Be open to the real things to speak to your heart. 
because your identity is affecting everything you do in life right now. Your identity affects the way you worship God, the way you relate to people, the way you love, the way you give, your relationships, even talking to God, receiving from God. Your identity affects everything about you. So if your identity is incorrect, you will never live in the freedom that comes from Jesus. And you will always wrestle with the bondages and you'll want to be free, but because your identity is wrong, you'll never really live in freedom. Now, don't answer this, but let me answer it. Do you think Jesus came to the earth, lived, died on a cross, resurrected to simply control our behavior? Is church just about behavior modification? Do you know if you ask the unchurch, what's the purpose of church? Here's what you're going to get for the most part. Well, it's a place where people tell you how to be good or act better. I'm pro good behavior, but I think Jesus came to the earth for something greater than just behavior modification. And all all the legalistic folks and all the judgmental folks, you won't like that. I'm sorry. I think Jesus came to the earth, died on a cross, and was resurrected to adopt us to adopt us. See, somewhere on the way after he adopts you, the fruit of the spirit will kick in and you'll love better and you'll do better and you'll behave better. If you follow Jesus, you'll act better, but that's not what it's all about. Here's what it's all about. It's all about sonship. It's about being a son or a daughter. And listen, every time I say the word son, think daughter. Okay. So I'm not leaving the ladies out son, daughter. So think that all the way through this message. Now go to Luke 15. I want to just highlight a story. You know the story. I'm going to set up the story. There are two sons in the father's house. The older son will receive the double inheritance, and the other son will get whatever's left over. The younger son comes to the father and basically says, Pop, you're not dying quick enough. You got a lot of money. I want my money. So would you get busy dying or go ahead and give me my inheritance? This is a selfish, arrogant young man who's only living for himself with no regard for the father. Not only is he selfish and arrogant to ask for the money before his father's death, but he's going to leave his father. And in that culture, the responsibility of the parent when they get older is in the hands of the children. So he's saying, Father, I want what's mine, and I'm going to leave you, and somebody else can take care of you. In other words, I don't care if you live or die because I'm not going to be around. Oh, let me stop just a minute. Let me go back and ask you, did you take your mask off? Okay, this this is the way I'm going to see. I'm going to test and see if you did. How many of you have committed a big sin? One one of the top ten. Come on, keep them up. I I have. Come on. Okay, thank you. Taking your mask off. That's good. Now, we can go on. So he takes his father's money. He blows it. You know the story. He ends up in a pig pen. And, 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 you know, this is a Jewish young man of all the non-kosher places. There he is in a pig pen. And Luke 15, 17, listen to this. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. So he thought, well, many of my father's servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I know what I'm going to do. Watch. So he starts rehearsing his speech. You you can read the story. He gets a speech in his mind of what he's going to say. I'm going to set out. I'm going back to my father. I've got a a speech rehearsed. But watch this. Most people miss this. He made the choice to be an orphan. He's a son. He left the father. He made the choice to be an orphan. Most orphans don't choose to become orphans. Most orphans are a result of a crisis or the loss of parents. Now he thinks... 
Here's what he came back to. If I go back and really do good things, maybe the father will make me a slave. When I say slave, you think dead works. Because when you're a slave, you're trying to do something to get the father's approval. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father while he was still a long way off. He's down the road walking. His father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The father is looking for him. He's looking a long way. He saw him. He's filled with compassion. He runs to his arrogant, self-centered. Now he's a stinking young man. And he throws his arms around him, and he kisses the son. And here's what he says in verse 21. Father, now here's the speech. Listen to it, though. I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Watch. Now the father... He, he's not sitting on the porch tapping his foot, and, and, and when he sees him and say, yeah, I knew you'd come back. I didn't think you'd smell this bad, but I knew you'd be back. Or he didn't say, you don't have any of the money, do you? You come back for more money. Or he, didn't, or he didn't say, you wasted it all, didn't you? He didn't say any of that. But here's what this man did. Even though this man was a man of reputation in his community, he become undignified. When the son comes home, he becomes undignified and he runs down the road. Scripture teaches us and tells us that he pulls up his robe and he's running. And, and, and listen, here's why he become undignified. In the scriptures, a person in authority, you know, they, 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 they didn't wear pants, you know, like we do. They wear the robe thing, okay? And so from the knee down was okay. But to run, he had to pull this robe up, and you could see the outer thighs of his leg. It's the same principle when David was in the cave, and Saul came in to use the bathroom, and he saw the thighs, and then he cut the piece off and revealed the thigh. That was what was disgraceful about that. It's the same thing. But this father did not care because the son came home. He was undignified. He was full of love and compassion. And, and, and so he, 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 he did not, watch, he didn't even recognize the little speech the son made. He didn't even acknowledge it. He ran, hugged, kissed, accepted him. Now, listen, you, you raised your hands if you committed a big sin. And, and some of you lied, and that's, a, that's another big sin. So you're all, we're all in there, okay? <laughs> I feel if you feel like you've committed a big sin, this is the wrestling match you're going to have in your heart. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son or a daughter. I've got good news for you and bad news. The good news, the bad news is you're right. The good news is Jesus paid forward, so you're worthy. The father said in verse 22, he said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf We're, we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine who was dead has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Watch. An orphan wants to become a slave. Think about it. He came back thinking, I'm damaged goods. I'm not worthy to be a son. I betrayed my father. I, I did one of those bad sins. I really did something. It, so if I can really do something good, maybe, maybe he'll have me back as a slave. Listen, this son, he never thought he would get his sonship back. But the truth is, he never lost it. The son chose to live as an orphan by walking from his father's house the father's culture, watch, here's what the cultural standards said. It, it said that he, the father, had a right to disown him legally. And secondly, if he returned, the community expected him to stone the son to death. So he knew the son walking back home, 
I'm an orphan by my own choice. I've made my own bed. I've done all this, but maybe the father won't stone me, won't disown me, and let me be a slave. So I want to ask you to ask yourself, which group are you part of? Here are the three groups, an orphan, a slave, and a son. Before you answer that for yourself, let me give you brief descriptions of each of these in the church. Orphans. Churches are full of orphans. Stay with me. Watch where I'm going with this on grace. Our culture is full of orphans. If you could hear the heart cry of generations right now, they are saying, I need a father. I I want a father. Will somebody be my dad? But watch, orphans believe maybe there's someplace I belong and they will come and sit in buildings, but they never deeply commit. They come looking for it, but they will never deeply commit. Orphans find it difficult to commit to relationships. They find it difficult to commit to marriages and to churches. And orphans, they don't trust people like me. What do you mean by that? People in authority, they want to believe what I'm saying and teaching, but they won't trust people like me because they've been hurt so many times by people in authority. So orphans will introduce themselves to you, but that's about as far as you're going to get. You're going to get, not going to get much closer. So orphans are wandering through life, and they, they may have given up on life, have no idea where they're going. They can't commit to a career or a relationship to God. This generation is orphan, and they need somebody to believe in them. And I believe the church is full of orphans. So let, let all the dads and listening to me, all the dads, Mobile Foley, everybody, listen. Fathers, in the natural and in the spiritual, listen, it's not your role to shape your kids into your image or tell them who they are or tell them who they're to become. It's your job, listen to that, to look into the eyes of your kids and identify the way God made them. The knitting together in the womb, the way he made them, and the gifts that they distribute and they, they have. And fathers, you are to look into the eyes of your kids and you're to call them out. You're to say to your son and your daughter, this is what I see. This is what I see. I see this in you and I'm calling it out. And you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And you're going to succeed at this and succeed at that. And all the orphans that are listening to me right now, they wish a father or an authority figure would look at them in the eye and say, come on, I'm calling you. I see the gifts in you. Come on. God's got something for you. I see this in you. But here's the key. Listen to this. Orphans never think they belong. And when you don't belong, it's hard to to believe. So listen, in the very beginning of this series, God's part, he imputed righteousness to Abraham. What's Abraham's part? Believe. What's our part? Believe. Orphans can never be overwhelmed by grace because they don't believe. They don't trust the word grace because they're an orphan. They have no idea what we're talking about. No one has ever believed in them. And now you're talking about grace, God's part, and I'm supposed to do my part, believe. Orphans struggle with that. Are you an orphan in your spirit? Secondly, slaves. Now, I think this is the largest group in the local church. When you talk to orphans, they can't tell you where they're going and where they are. But slaves, though, watch, in the church, are the most committed group of people. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you why. Because their position in the family depends upon their performance, what they do. So I'm accepted by what I do. Slaves believe if I really work hard, then the father will pay attention to me. 
The place in the family is dependent upon what they do. That's my place. That's why I'm doing it. Well, you're a slave. Slaves look like little mice on a treadmill running real fast saying, hey, God, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Slaves' entire identity is wrapped up in that. Doing good works is important, and we're to do good works. But we have an assignment, and we need to do those things to be good stewards of the gifts that are in us. So watch. That is not who I am. Listen, let me say it this way. I'm a husband to my wife, Jerry. I'm a dad to my children, Trey, Nick, and Melanie. I'm a granddad granddad to Bella, Nora, Tristan, and Taylor, and that's what I do. Those are my titles, but that's not who I am. Let me tell you who I am. I'm a son. I'm a son of God. I'm a joint heir of God. That's who I am. So this prodigal son that we called him, and prodigal means extravagant, this prodigal, he has a brother. And the older brother, the older son, goes to the father. Listen, listen to slave thinking. Dad, I've been faithful to you. I've stood by your side. I've been working real hard. And, 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 and you've never had a party for anything I've done. I've been good. I've done all this stuff. I didn't run off and spoil everything. I'm here to take care of you. You've never once offered to have a party for me. And, and you can read it. Here's what the father says. The father's, re- his reply is this. Son, you can read it. He didn't say slave servant he said son but all of this belongs to you you're an heir (laughs) you're a son it all belongs to you see god likes what you're doing he's appreciative but god's more concerned about what you're becoming it's about becoming something slaves listen please listen to me slaves are fixated on the destinations but sons get to enjoy the journey so a son can enjoy the journey a son, the journey is the destination. So are you a slave? Are you an orphan? Are you a slave? Here's the third group, sons. Listen to the sons. Sons get to enjoy the land the father owns. Do you know what the father owns? Everything? Everything? Okay, yeah. So they're joint heirs of everything the father owns. Now, let me ask you a personal question, and I'm not trying to embarrass you. Do you think your kids will ever mess up? Or maybe have your kids ever messed up? Well, see, what you need to see in them is you need to see past their behavior to what's happening in their hearts. Sons, your children, do have responsibilities, but when they fail to do them, they don't lose their name. Even on a bad day, their name's the same. And parents, listen, I know there are days you want to give them away. You know? There's days you want to kill them until God they died. I know. (laughs) There are days when when you're wounded by your children's behavior. There's days when you're hurt by your children, the choices they make. But I can't think of one single thing that would make me disown them. Jesus didn't come to simply control our behavior. He came for something bigger than that. He came to adopt us to make us God's son. So watch these two types and shadows. I want to show you something. You may have never seen this. Is it possible that God set up marriage on earth to show us the type and shadow of eternity in heaven, future? Well, he did, okay? That's the answer to it. Yes, he did. Our marriage is a type and shadow of our relationship that's going to be with him in heaven. But then is it possible that parenting is a type and shadow of being with him now? It is. He set up parenting as a type and shadow of his relation to us now. 
He's the Father in heaven. He relates to me like a child. He's in charge. I'm following. I'm a son of God. He's my Father in heaven. And what God is trying to say is if you're my son, that's not changed. You're my son. Slaves think, yeah, but if I stop doing and performing, God will turn his attention somewhere else and he may go to the courthouse and change my name. That's how a slave thinks. If you're living like that, you will never enjoy the land and the promises and the destiny your father has for you because you're living like a slave. Why did he have to get them out of Egypt? Because they had a purpose. They had a destiny. They had somewhere else to go to fulfill something if they stayed there or they'd die as slaves. Galatians 4, verse 1. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. What's God saying? He said, hey, they, the sons own the whole estate. They just don't know it yet. We just don't know it yet. Galatians 4, 2. Watch this. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father said. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son, watch, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Because you're no longer a slave but God's own child, and since you're his child, God has made you his heir. So it's his spirit in us that gives us the ability to come to a holy God and cry, Abba to cry father, to cry daddy. You're no longer a slave but a son. And since a son, well, God's made you an heir. In this story of the prodigal, watch, we like the the attraction of the father. I mean, it's a movie. He's running down the road. He's not sitting in the porch. He's pulled up his robe. He's pressing in. He goes to this dirty, nasty son that's rebellious and arrogant. He hugs and kisses, and he calls out all these things. I mean, we love all that. We like the robe and the kiss of acceptance and the shoes and the ring and the celebration. But we have a problem. Here's the problem. We have a problem wearing the robe. The robe represents the covering of grace. We have a problem carrying grace. Now, I'm going to leave you hanging right there, right there, because I want to share a story with you. It's in the Bible. It's, 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 it's one of my favorite. It's a story with David. I love David. He's, he's Other than Jesus, he's my favorite character in the whole scriptures, and I've studied him. But this story just fascinates me, and, 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 and it just, it's like this, this story has to fit the ending of this thing, okay? So, so watch this. David and Jonathan were friends. And, and Jonathan's dad was King Saul, and King Saul hated David, and Jonathan and David made covenant. And, and Jonathan, he died with his father on the battlefield, King Saul, and, and, and he didn't, but he did not leave the mindset of his father. But he did leave seed, and I don't think David knew about the seed, and he had a son named Mephibosheth. You can read the story in 2 Samuel 4. This child, Mephibosheth, grew up in the house of Saul. The house of Saul represents the house of flesh. It, it represents slavery, Okay. And it grew up there, and it grew up hearing all the lies about David. David's a bad guy. David's this. He's trying to kill Saul. He's a bad guy. And then the enemy, not David, but the enemy comes in and attacks the house of Saul. And in fear, the house runs. Everybody in the house runs. The maid that has this little boy, he's probably two to four years old. He has, she has him. She's running down this mountainside. She trips and falls on top of the child, and he's crippled. He's crippled for life. A king's grandson to be a cripple was a disgrace. So they hid the boy. They hit him. They put him away. 
He actually grew up in a place that's called Lodibar. Lodibar means house of lies. There's no bread there. There's no pasture there. It's just a desert place, but there lies a crippled prince. He didn't know he was a prince. He didn't know he, he, didn't know he was a son. He didn't understand because he'd been brainwashed by the lies, by the lies of the house of Saul. He was full of shame and thought he was an orphan. And he didn't even think he could be a slave. By no means could he be a slave because he's physically crippled because he couldn't even serve. So he's just an orphan. He's been thrown away. So David takes the throne after many years after Jonathan's died and Saul's died. And then he goes on a search and he goes to the, to the key servant of Saul's house named Ziba. And he says, hey, I want you to find out, is anybody in the bloodline left? And he searches for months and months and months. And he comes out, yeah, he had a son. He's a grown man now. He's probably, he was probably 43 to 46 years old when David found him. And and he lives in Lodabar. And David said, go get him. Go get him. Why, why would a king turn his kingdom upside down looking for a crippled man, an orphan? Because David and Jonathan had a covenant. And, and, and David had, had never met Mephibosheth. And he, he didn't, maybe not even know he existed. Who initiated the hunt for the son? The king, David. Why? Because of the covenant with his father. Found him in a shack in Lodabar, crippled on the ground. I can just imagine he hears the, the horses and the chariots coming, and he thinks, okay, this is over. It's over. I can't live like this anymore. I can't hide behind the mask. My, my shame is, is exposed. It's over. And he even says this about himself. I'm as a dead dog. Here's what that means. That means garbage and trash. Throw me in the dump. He's brought to the king's palace. He comes before the king's throne. And, and, and here's what he expected death. He's an orphan. He expects to die. And listen to what David said in 2 Samuel 9, 7. Don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. I intend to show you kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Now, now watch. I, I know you know this, but this is all about a covenant between your father and me, Mephibosheth. And you only have to receive the grace and the mercy and the love. You just receive it. You come in. We're going to get you cleaned up and shaved up, and we're going to get you some new clothes, and you're going to eat at the king's table every day. So watch. First, I'm sure he's attracted to this because this offer sounds really good. Not only clean clothes and food, but he's going to live in a palace, but all his inheritance is restored because of his father. But he's got to learn how to do something. He's, been lear he's learned how to live behind a mask. He's lived behind a mask of being an orphan. He, he has to learn now how to wear grace and not a mask. How does he do that? Watch, here's, how he, here's what he does. For years, he sits at the king's table every day. He's in the palace with King David, and he's sitting at the king's table, and all his deformities are covered, and his shame is dismissed at the king's table. Why? Because at the king's table, here's what happens. He begins to have a relationship with the king. And when he starts knowing the heart of the king and the, and the purpose of the king and the love of the king, he is able then to take off the mask that he's been wearing as an orphan. And he starts, he, 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 really, he, he really never understood the kindness, but, but now he starts to see the kindness and he realized the kindness is his father's love for his seed. So what does he do? He develops a fellowship with David. The attraction is great, but, but if he had not learned to love the king, he wouldn't wear the robe. If he hadn't learned to love the king, 
He wouldn't have taken on the identity of a son, the son of a king. He would have lived as an orphan. He would have lived as a crippled orphan. And I believe that, and, and this is just my part because of what I've studied, I believe when David put the robe on Mephibosheth that it was the robe that Jonathan used when he and David cut covenant, and then that's a whole other teaching, but, but he had given him years ago. And I think Mephibosheth was really wearing the robe of his own father, Jonathan, and now when he puts that on, and because he's built the relationship with the king, he knows who he is. He's a son. He's a son. He's not an orphan anymore. He's not a slave anymore. Oh, he may be crippled. He may have some handicaps. He may have some shortcomings, but he's a king. He's a son, and he knows what he's inherited. And now his whole outlook on life has changed because he's accepted wearing grace. Let me connect the dots and I'm finished. God the Father loves you. He sent his son full of grace to covenant that you might wear the covering of grace. Here's the key. Here's the key. Don't be just attracted to the message, but fall in love with the messenger. Know the king intimately. And and listen, if you've received grace, let let me tell you what you can say with me right now. God, thank you for adopting me. If you know the king, can you say that? Come on. God, thank you for adopting me. Okay, there's a whole lot of orphans and slaves. Yeah, okay. Here's my question for you. Who are you? Are you living like an orphan, wandering through life, wishing you were part of something, hoping something else would happen and see great things in your life? Would somebody come up in your life and draw it out of you? Are you just going, you know, out the door? You you come in and and you just go out the door and you live like a slave thinking, well, you know, know, I I need to do more of this and more of this and do this and do this and, 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 and then I'm becoming something. Or do you see life different because you see yourself as a son of God? See, in the natural, that's hard to wrap our minds around, a son of God. But because of Jesus and what he did, I need to wear the covering. I need to wear that robe of grace. Because if I have believed in him, that's my part. I've come to him empty-handed and I believed in him. Guess what? I'm, I'm wearing a robe of grace. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I can't buy it. I, it, it but, but you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to wear it. He wants you to wear it. Why? Because he's put you on this earth to fulfill his purpose on the earth. You can't fulfill his purpose on the earth unless you're wearing the covering of grace. You know why? Because the enemy will come along and he'll hit you with guilt and condemnation every other day, all the time. He's going to come at you. And the only thing that takes care of guilt and condemnation is the robe. And my identity is, I'm a son. Can't mess with me. <laughs> I'm a son. I know who I am. I'm a son. You can't mess with me. Do you, you think Jesus was intimidated by Satan when he started messing with him? No, Jesus knew who he was, and he knew who Satan was, and he knew the outcome. But what's he walking in? He's walking in the strength of the Father, knowing that he's a son of the Father, and so he's doing his business. Listen, you got business on this earth to do, and you can't fulfill it unless you're going to walk as a son. Now, listen, here's what I want you to do. I know this is up and close and personal. But I want you to be a son and a daughter. I don't want you to think like an orphan. And I don't want you to live like a slave. I want us to be sons and daughters in God's house fulfilling his purpose. And if you've answered to one of those three groups, 
Two of those groups you need to get out of. If you're in the one of the sons and daughters, you're in the right group. If you're in the other two, you're in the wrong group. And I'm telling you, it's time. You've heard this message because now it's time for you to act on that in faith, by grace, and accept that you're a son and a daughter and put on the robe of grace. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to be honest. I want you to be, remember I asked you to take the mask off. I did the mask test and you passed it. So the mask is still off. Don't put it on. How many of you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm a son or a daughter. That's the the best way for me to ask it. I'm not sure I'm a son or a daughter. Hold your hand up. Come on. Hold it up. All over the room. All over the room. Okay, put your hands down. I'm I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then in about two minutes, this service will be over. The most important part of this service is is after this service is over, when we dismiss, there'll be leaders in the front to pray with you, and you come forward and you let somebody pray with you in agreement. If you raised your hand, I want you to pray this. In fact, everybody just pray this prayer out loud. God the Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me your son, for dying for me and being resurrected so that I can have power over sin. And I want to be a son and a daughter. I refuse to live like a slave. And I refuse to think like an orphan. And now I receive a robe of grace and I wear the covering because now I'm a son. Now I'm a daughter of the Most High. I'm a joint heir with everything you own. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.